All right, well, let's move right into it. Uh, the next hour after we have our break, and uh, where's Lindsay at? I know I saw her back there. There you are, and her dear husband, who I just met a few weeks ago, and uh, the lovely children, uh, a godly family. And uh, he's been in the military. I talked with him a few minutes at the, uh, the picnic, and I just, you, you won me, brother. Uh, sweet spirit, even he's in the military, but what a sweet, godly spirit. And uh, I, I do, I mourn losing, losing you folks, but uh, trust that God will bless you up there in, in New York if that's possible in that state, but we'll see. <laughs> All right, at 10.45 after our break, I'll be speaking on in, in the auditorium class for our Sunday school hour where we put the pulpit away, kind of uh, dressed down just a hair, if you will. We're going to be talking about a very, very difficult subject. We've been going through a series on relationships and marriage. We're stressing the relationship part, but it definitely involves the marriage scenario. And I'll be talking about probably one of the most difficult subjects uh, on this realm, which is about betrayal is at the end. You don't want to miss that. Please don't go home. Stick around. Of course, Steve Brown has his uh, class on the mezzanine level, Richard Trushan. Uh, for college and career downstairs. So let's keep Sunday school and what I like to call adult Bible fellowship going strong, and uh, that will be great. Prophecy Focus Global, for those basically watching on the Internet right now, uh, we'll be skipping one week. I'll be back on July 21st, Wednesday, right here, and we'll be speaking on multiple current events in Bible prophecy. Just so you know, Valerie and I, and the last thing I'll mention, then we'll get into the message. Valerie and I will be on the road this afternoon, uh, traveling out. We'll be back Saturday night. It'll be the last trip we'll have this, uh, this summer, and we'll be back the rest of the time. So thanks to Josh and Richard for the couple times they've filled in. I appreciate that. All right, well, let's get down to apocalyptic absolutes. Revelation verse by verse. That's what our study is on on Sunday mornings right now. We're going through the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 5 of this morning. And these are absolute things that God is going to do. This morning, and, and, and on occasion, a person will say, Well, Brother Rich, is all you do is preach on prophecy. The answer is absolutely no. Uh, just like next hour, we'll be doing a very practical uh, class has nothing to do with prophecy, but folks, 30% of your Bible's prophecy, so yes, uh, we do talk about prophecy quite a bit. We're going to find in a particular section that we're going to take, uh, uh, deviate from Revelation a little bit this morning, we're going to deal with things that are prophetically speaking about you personally. Did you catch that? The prophecies we'll be looking at this morning, some of them directly involve every single one of you. We're going to take you to the Bema Seat of Christ. We'll explain what that is. And uh, it fits right in with Revelation chapter 5, but it's very practical. It has to do exactly with what you and I are doing on a daily basis. Are we serving the Lord the way we should? Are we running in the right direction? And we'll see that this morning with, uh, uh, as we go to a couple of passages. So we're going up again, chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation. Take us literally up to the throne room of heaven. It's an amazing scene. It's, it's a place that God gives us uh, many visuals on. We'll look at a few of those. We have some uh, artist makeups of these things. So we're, we're literally in uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, we believe is when uh, uh, the John, of course, was translated up to heaven to see what's going to be taking place in the future. Folks, every will see the things we're talking about this morning. It's all prophetic. It's looking forward to the future. So as uh, we go up there, let me ask you a couple of questions because we have a very interesting scenario in uh, Revelation 5 this morning and a real problem that uh, the Apostle John was facing. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had a problem that you were convinced was unsolvable? I mean, it's just absolutely tearing you up inside. It's like, how do we fix this issue? I don't know where to go, don't know where to turn. Well, we're going to find that the Apostle John, the Apostle John absolutely was beside himself in agony and weeping and crying, and he was like, how are we going to solve this issue? It's, it's an amazing uh, account of what took place. We'll see that. Have you been there? Can you relate to this statement, tell me it can't be done, and I'll get it done? If it's impossible to do, nobody else can do it. I'm going to figure out how to do it. I'm going to get it done. We're going to see that this morning. How do you respond to a spiritual situation that appears hopeless? 
Oh, my goodness, I've, I've been praying for uh, uh, my friend. I've been praying for my relative. I've been praying for someone, and they just keep rejecting Christ and rejecting Christ, and it's hopeless. I've had people come and say, listen, Brother Rich, I, I don't believe this person will ever come to Christ. And I say, don't you ever give up. Don't you ever give up. Don't ever stop praying for him. Don't ever stop witnessing. Folks, the amount of folks that on, on occasion we see come to Christ on their deathbeds, literally on their deathbeds, minutes and hours before they die, because they've heard the message, all of a sudden it's real. They know they're going home, one place or another. And all of a sudden, all the witnessing that you've done, all the time that you've prayed, and God says, I think I can get through to their heart now. And uh, it's amazing. But how do you respond to a spiritual situation that appears hopeless? We'll look at that this morning. Well, here's what we're going to be doing over the next few minutes, we'll examine four biblical truths regarding why Jesus Christ is worthy of continual worship as the sovereign Lamb of God. Take your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 5, or, you can, uh, or your uh, Bibles, or your cell phones, or whatever you use today. Revelation 5, and I saw, speaking of the Apostle John, who is up in heaven now looking towards the prophetic future. This is not happening yet. This is all prophetic future. And I saw on the right hand of him, speaking of God the Father, who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, folks, we're gonna, I'm going to tip off a few things here. We're looking at angelic individuals. We're looking at living creatures, which we'll describe. And then we're looking at a lamb. The lamb is speaking of Jesus Christ. Again, remember, in Revelation, it's called apocalyptic style. What does that mean? God uses symbolic ideas, but he'll explain them in the text. So we'll help you out with that. So every single thing here has a literal fulfillment, but yes, we're looking at some very interesting descriptions. All right, back to uh, verse uh, 6. Uh, there stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. We're talking about Jesus stepping up to the Father and taking this scroll. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, speaking of Christ, and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, basically a Greek terminology meaning innumerable, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Father, I pray now as we open up the precious word of God, as we look at this wonderful, glorious scene of heaven, as we look at the throne room where God the Father is currently seated, when, as we look at Jesus Christ, Christ, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, I pray, Father, that we would simply be excited, enthralled, and thrilled with the throne room and where we will one day be able to go. So, Father, what an exciting time. Now, Lord, I pray that uh, you'd use this passage to excite us, 
to new places in our spiritual walk. Father, help us to do what only you can do. Revive the saved and save the lost in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look now. We're looking at the revelation of a scroll. Basically, this scroll in Revelation 5 is going to be unfolded in Revelation chapter 6, which will start next week. Revelation 6 through 19 is going to go through the catastrophic, horrific judgments that will be taking place during the seven-year tribulation period. When does that tribulation period start? It starts, and here we go, church. It starts after what is the next major event on God's prophetic timetable? It is the rapture of the church when Jesus Christ descends from heaven. He comes down uh, in the clouds, not to the earth. He does not touch down, but he takes all the believers dead and alive up to heaven and translates them and gives them a glorified God body, according to 1 Corinthians 15. 50 to 54. Now, again, I always like to throw this in, especially for visitors. You're like, well, wait a minute. If it's a, a time and event that's coming in the future, if I die as a Christian, what happens the moment I die? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Immediately the soul spirit goes up to heaven to be with uh, uh, the Lord. Uh, but the old body, uh, just as we uh, uh, have done, unfortunately, several times, I always uh, feel... Uh, uh, the pain of the, the families, we bury folks and then the body gets buried or the ashes get buried of, of the remains. But Jesus Christ said, hey, someday I'm coming back. I'm going to resurrect them. I'm going to take those old bodies, transform them, give them a new body with no pain, no suffering, no tears, and you'll live with me forever. And all God's people said, all right. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, and I saw on the right hand of him, the Father who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Let me set the context. The context is God the Father is about to hand the title deed to this earth to Jesus Christ. What has happened since Adam way back almost 6,000 years ago in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned? The world which had been under, and I'm sorry for the big words, a theocratic rule, meaning God was over the entire earth. When Adam and Eve rejected God, they, they basically destroyed the dominion that God had given to them over this earth. Someone else stepped in and took their place. We'll look at it in a little bit, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us when Adam and Eve sinned, someone else became the small g God of this world or of this age, meaning Satan. Satan has had control of this earth to a great extent over the last 6,000 years, taking us up to today. What's going to happen in the future is God's taking back this earth. And that needs to happen big time if you watch what's taking place in today's world. How's that going to happen? Well, this is setting the stage now for what's going to happen in chapter 6 through 19. Jesus Christ is going to be getting that title deed to this earth with the seven seals, which are all judgments, will start next week. It's amazing. You don't want to miss this series, folks. If you've read Revelation, it's like, ah, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. It'll make a lot of sense when we go through this verse by verse. Trust me on that. Please don't miss this stuff. What's going to happen is Jesus is going up to the Father. The Father says, here, son, Take the title deed to the earth, and here's what we're going to do to basically to get the earth back and set it in order. Folks, this earth will be in order when Jesus Christ comes back to rule and reign, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7. So we're looking at this title deed, but let's uh, take a little bit of background very quickly at what we've been through so far. So when we're looking at uh, the book of Revelation again, chapter 1 is looking at the things that, that had already taken place. It's another picture of the throne room of God. Revelation 2 and 3 was looking at the seven churches that existed in Asia or Turkey during uh, the first century A.D. Now again, chapters 4 through 22 is all prophecy. None of this has happened. This is why a lot of people read Revelation. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. What's well, because it hadn't happened yet. Most of uh, everything else, chapters 1 through 3, it's already, that's history. Chapter 4 begins a whole new prophetic picture. So here's how the outline is, Revelation 1.19. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And there's the breakdown. Chapter 1, things which had already taken place. 
chapters 2 and 3, speaking of the church age, which we're currently in, <clears throat> chapter 4 through 22, all things that have yet to take place in the prophetic future. All right, so we talked about the rapture of the church, which will end the current change. change. How about church age? There we go. Uh, which will end the current church age in which we live. Immediately after that, uh, something happens. Very quickly as a review, Daniel 9.27, the Antichrist comes on this scene, confirms a peace treaty with whom? Israel, I heard it. Say it again. There you go. Now we all got it. Uh, uh, will take place in Israel, Daniel 9.27. He'll confirm a peace treaty with the Jewish people, which will then kick off the seven-year tribulation period, the first three and a half years, <clears throat> characterized by a pseudo-peace for the Jewish people, the last three and a half years, the worst holocaust that will ever take place. You say, how do you know it will be the worst holocaust that will ever take place? Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9, tell us that two-thirds of all the Jewish people will be killed during that time, during that last three and a half years, point five years the Jewish people will be under the worst holocaust six million Jews were killed back during uh, towards the end of the second world war it'll be worse than that if the numbers stay consistent horrible times are coming all right Revelation chapter 4 verse 2 the next part immediately John said I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven now we went through this last week we just want to review very quickly the throne room and what it looks like and these are, of course, artist renditions, but some factuality exists based on the biblical statements. Revelation chapter 4 is a review. One sat on the throne, being the Father, and it goes through a description of him. There's this emerald rainbow, if you will, that sits behind the Father in heaven. So it's a beautiful scene. It's a glorious scene. And folks, it's something that you, you say, well, I don't get, I don't know if we should study. Folks, this is what you're going to see. It's going to be wonderful, all right? And from the, the throne proceeds lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Basically, the strength, the power, the glory of God will be there in heaven. He also said before the throne, there are uh, seven lamps of fire burning, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Folks, it's like, have you ever seen anything like this? The edge of, ah, of course not, right? It's, it's glorious. It's wonderful. It's awe-striking what is in heaven. Chapter 4, then it talked about for the four living creatures, which are going to come up again in chapter 5. What is the job of these four living creatures? To praise God, to worship God, to be there to lift him up. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. One of the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. What happens? The 24 elders also bow down and worship the Lord. Now, here's where we're going to start our practicality. When God talks about those in Revelation that will be up in heaven worshiping him, it talks about the 24 elders, and again, we went through last week, that it could represent, and God doesn't specifically state who they are. We're looking to the prophetic future. Could it be talking about the 12 uh, representatives of the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel? Could be. Could it be talking about uh, a representation of God's people, uh, all of the church age? Could be. But here's the thing, folks. And here's where I want us to, to start zeroing in because we're going to get very practical in a minute. Out of the four living creatures that are before God's throne, how many of them fell down and worshiped God? Four of four. Not three of four, not two of four, not one of four. Every single one. He looked at those of the 24 elders. And he said the 24 elders all fell down and cast their crowns before him, as we'll see in just a moment. Not 23, not 22, not 20, not 15, all 24. You say, what are you trying to say? What I'm saying is this. Every single one of us is called to worship the Lord. Amen. There, are no, there are no exceptions. You say you want a challenge? Here's a challenge. Every single one of us as God's people has been called to serve and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll try that again. Every single one of us as God's people has been called to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. The four living creatures. 
Revelation 4, a little bit of review. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they will exist and were created. Now, where do we want to go? I want to take you, if you will, to the judgment seat of Christ. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you will. This is prophecy, but it's directly talking about the church people. Every single one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, some of you are saying, "Uh uh-oh, this sounds like heresy because I was saved by faith. I trusted Jesus Christ alone to get to heaven. And you're absolutely right. There are no works involved with getting saved. In other words, if you go to heaven, there's only one thing you need to do, do, and that's having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we say it every single week, for by grace, God's free and merited gift are you saved through what? Through faith. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. All right, so God's making it very clear that we're saved simply by placing our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. So what is he talking about that every single one of us has to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Well, I'll tell you what it's about. Remember the 24 elders, what did they cast before the Lord? Crowns. Guess who's throwing crowns at Jesus' feet? You are. All right, let's find out how that takes place. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a what? A reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. What is God saying here? Folks, there is coming a day for the church age when we're raptured, we're taken up to heaven. Maybe in our generation, maybe not. We don't know when it's going to happen. He didn't tell us. He didn't give a timetable on it. All we know is it's the next thing on God's prophetic calendar. What God does say is every single one of us, while the seven-year tribulation period is going on down here on earth, we're up in heaven, and one of the things that will be taking place is what's known as the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. In a, a Roman Greek culture, when you went to the Olympics or the Roman games or the Grecian games, what would take place? The sports would go out, the runners would go, the wrestlers would go, the javelin throwers would go, and one person would win that particular event. They would then walk up in humility, stand before, if you will, the the, the emperor, the the director, the, the, the leader of the government, wherever it was taking place, and they would be given a wreath or something that commemorates they are the winner. That's what's going to happen at the Bema Seat of Christ. You will, unequivocally, every single one of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and here's what's going to happen. He's going to pull out, I don't know if he's got a a big old book up there, and he's going to say, all right, let's take a look here. Rich Schmidt, hmm. All right, well, here you are. This is the book of good works, and it's a little small, but we'll take it. And uh, he said, well, listen, Brother Rich, you've done good in this particular thing, and we'll show you the... Uh, five different crowns you can get in just a moment. He says, well, you did pretty good here. I guess, uh, yeah, we'll give you a crown for that. Here you go, Brother Rich. Uh, uh, enjoy the crown. Here's your reward for what you did. And uh, nah, you didn't do so good on, on this particular one. I can't give you that, but ah, here's another one. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you did pretty good on that one, and we'll show you exactly what those crowns are and how you can earn them today. So that's exactly what's going to take place. Now, what is he talking about? Wood, hay, stubble, gold, precious silver, and all that. They'll be revealed by fire. When you take a piece of metal, and uh, those of you that have uh, foundry experience or so forth or plastics, and you take something and you put it in the fire and you refine it, what happens to that metal? The impurities, what happens to them? 
they burn away, right? And you're left with a good solid chunk of whatever particular metal you're working on. That's what God's saying here. He's saying, I'm going to take your works, Christians. I'm going to put them in the fire, and we're going to see what's left. That's exactly what he's saying here. He says, what? Your works? Some of you, eh, some of you really good. So what does he say in verse 14? Because I don't want anybody to think that their works are related to their salvation. You're still going to be in heaven. You're still going to be with Christ if you've trusted him. But some will get more rewards than others based upon what they did here on earth. If anyone's work, verse 14, uh, which he has built on endures. In other words, it doesn't get burned up by fire. He will or she will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, eh, you're going to suffer the loss of a crown. But you'll be saved yet as through fire. In other words, saved from your sins has already taken place. You won't be sent to uh, the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. So let me very quickly, uh, we're going to go through the five crowns that you can win and one day cast before the Lord Jesus. Now I want you to listen, folks, please. These are the things you say, listen, what can I do to please the Lord? What can I do to be challenged to serve God? I'm going to give you five challenges specifically from the Lord that you personally can do. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the imperishable crown. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? They were talking, they're going right back to the Olympics of the day. Run. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. In other words, you're, you're, you're at the, the start line. You're, you're trying to serve the Lord. You've just trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're going out trying to do things that are pleasing to God, that will serve Him, that will advance the cause of Christ. And God says like a runner, you're set, you're ready. Boom, the whistle goes and away you go, or the gun fires. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, in other words, the Olympians, but we for a what? It's an imperishable crown. God says, are you giving 100%? Are you attacking this like an Olympic athlete? Are you like a, an Olympian? Are you uh, exercising constantly? Are you getting yourself in shape for the race? Are you doing what needs to be done? Are you practicing the spiritual disciplines? Are you in the Word of God every single day? Are you praying and seeking the Lord? Are you sharing your faith with others? Are you treating others with respect and kindness? Are you doing everything you can to advance the cause of Christ? Are you running the race well? And God says, listen, Christian, if you do, I've got an imperishable crown waiting for you. Secondly, the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is not, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and crown. What is their joy? What is he saying here? Are you sharing your faith with others? Are you telling folks about Jesus? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the Apostle John is, is looking at, at folks that he's writing to, and he's like, wow, you know, folks that have come, come to Christ, placed their faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the crown of rejoicing. The, the, the gates, the, the heavens rejoice every time what? A sinner repents and comes to Christ. Justin was telling me he was at, uh, I, I'll share this if you don't mind. If you do mind, I'm doing it anyway. And uh, <laughs> love your brother, and I do. And uh, yeah, I do all this weird talk. Anyway, Justin was telling me uh, out at Trail Ridge Camp, and uh, I know Tony Lash is going to be out there this coming week, and uh, Justin was counseling there, and uh, just the importance of counseling with the young people that come there that don't know Christ as their Savior, young folks that uh, need to hear the gospel. And uh, he was telling me about uh, several young boys that he had the privilege of uh, sharing the gospel with, and they opened their hearts and trusted Jesus. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Many of you have done uh, the same thing, and you've uh, told your children about Christ, and they've come to Jesus, teenagers, adults, so forth, others that have shared the gospel with friends and loved ones, and they make a decision for Christ, and God says, well done. I have a crown of rejoicing waiting for you. Number three, the crown of righteousness. Second Timothy 4 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Again, Olympic terms. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who say it with me, who have loved his appearing. 
Brother Rich, why do you can't constantly talk about the rapture and Jesus Christ coming back and keep going to prophecy? Because God says to do it. He says there's a crown of righteousness waiting for us for all of us who love his appearing. Folks, uh, uh, I know we look forward to a lot of events on earth. Some of you are looking forward to getting married. Some of you are looking forward to having your first date. Some of you are looking forward to uh, uh, going on vacation coming up. Some of you are looking forward to retirement. And all these different things we look forward to happening. And God says, you know, all those things might be good. And all those things might have uh, uh, good things and, and things we get happy about. But God says, are you waiting for Jesus to come back? Are you looking for him? I, uh, I often say this, young couples, before they get married, and we're talking about the rapture, and they're like, I don't want it to come. <laughs> they're like, you know, I, I, I want to get married. I want to enjoy uh, my time with, uh, with, my, with my new bride or my new husband. And it's like, Lord, please, you know, at least give us a month or two. And uh, I, I kind of laugh and giggle a little bit, and it's like, yeah, that's a wonderful thing. Now, you think, young folks, you think, married couples, about how exciting it was before you got married. And we'll talk about after marriage in the next hour. But before you get married, I mean, it's just exciting. And I can't wait. And it's exciting. And you're in love. And it's like, woo, can't wait to do it. And God says, if you're that excited about that, how much more excited should you be about me showing up in the air and taking you home? It's the same concept. It's like, wow, this is fantastic. Can't wait for God to come back and take me home. Did you see that throne room up there? And that was just yucky renditions of art to be there in the presence of God where he's actually there, where you actually see him, where we're actually going to live with him. Wow. God says, I have a crown of righteousness waiting for those uh, that are waiting for me. The crown of glory, shepherd the flock. Here's for uh, those that, if you will, are being good ministers of God's word to others. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, appears, you shall receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Well, I hate to tell you, folks, this is kind of uh, left for those that minister, uh, basically are involved in uh, the ministry, of which you can be involved in, by the way. We have a lot of folks here at Union Grove that are not on quote-unquote paid staff, but they are constantly ministering for the Lord right here. If uh, I paid every single person that does the job of an elder or a pastor, I would bankrupt the church. And I'm dead serious about that. We have men and ladies that just constantly, constantly are giving and giving and giving and working uh, to make uh, the ministries here function. And God says specifically to uh, those in the pastoral position, he's like, you shepherd the flock of God. And he gives us very significant and severe penalties uh, if we don't do uh, ministry in a correct way. Being a shepherd, a shepherd, not a Lord, but a shepherd who loves the sheep. Now, that's not meant to be a downgrade on individuals. It's meant to be an illustration of how a pastor should love every single person that walks through those doors. Again, and uh, the person that uh, said this to me is, is sitting right here, and he said, listen, Brother Rich, you know what we need to do and make sure when we tell people we love them, we need to put a little bit of feet to the action. I'm like, absolutely, amen, praise the Lord. And that's why, folks, we try to do everything we can here which may not be a lot, but when we have something like we just had on a July 3rd, giant picnic, getting folks together, spending time with them, uh, roasting a couple of hot dogs and some hamburgers and sitting around the table and talking to folks and loving on people, when you see what takes place during summer quest and you see the results of the young people of, uh, of the fellowship that takes place and loving on people and telling them the gospel, when you look at the the dozens and dozens of dinners that Valerie and I do with uh, uh, dine with the pastor and meeting with visitors. All that's because we love you folks. We want to serve you. We want to get to know you and help you. You see, there's going to come a day when you're going to uh, uh, call me on the phone and you're going to be crying and your heart's going to be broke. And you're going to tell me about a loved one that just passed away or about a horrible situation in the family that just happened. 
you want to know the pastor at that point, don't you? You don't want to call some stranger and it's like, I can't believe it. The worst thing in my life just happened. I just lost my dear wife or my husband or my mom or my dad or my child. It's at that time that the shepherd has to come and pull you in and really help you at that point, right? I mean, that's, that's what God's called us to do. And God says those that are good shepherds, that love the people, that serve me well, there's a crown of glory waiting. Number five, the crown of life. Again, for everyone, do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. God's telling the church, listen, you're going to go through tough times. You're going to suffer. You're going to have things that you're going to go through that aren't fun, that aren't enjoyable. We will suffer as God's people. Now, we've been, and and I'm going to pop into politics mode for just a minute. I'm not going to talk about politics, but I want us to take a peek at what's going on in the world today, i.e. why we do Prophecy Focus Global Update on most Wednesday nights. The world is a mess. There's no doubt about it. The government has issues. And God said, while we're soldiering on this earth, and folks, we are still fortunate enough to be able to meet in this building today. We still have the freedom to meet here, and I praise the Lord for that. But God's saying, listen, and if you go to some different countries where some of our missionaries go to, every single time they get on the plane and they fly overseas, it's not guaranteed they're coming back. If some of the governments find out where missionaries are, and this is worldwide, people that we send and uh, other churches send people all over the world, there's a strong probability that some of them will not return because they'll be killed for their faith. Folks, we still haven't gone through that here in America, and I'm thankful for that. And God says, listen, there's a crown of life. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Several thousand people will be martyred every single month for the cause of Christ across the world, even today. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Say, Brother Rich, are you concerned about that? Well, you betcha I am. <laughs> I worked in a prison for... Uh, actually in a jail for many, many years. I'd prefer to stay on the right side of the bars, if you will. But what's going to happen in the future? Don't know. The devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days, figuratively speaking. Be faithful unto death. Whoa. Be faithful unto death. Ah, Most of us are faithful until someone at the kitchen table starts saying, I don't want to hear about that nonsense about that Christian walk. And we're like, ooh, Billy, I better be quiet. And God says, no, you be faithful to death. You love people. You be careful how you uh, relate things to people. You use sensitivity and always speak the truth in love. But God says, don't ever turn back. And I have a crown of life waiting for those will stay faithful even under severe persecution. Folks, the 24 elders fall down before the Lord. They take the crowns and they cast them at the Lord's feet. Where do those crowns come from? You. That's prophecy. The imperishable crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of life. Are you warning those crowns? You say, ah, I love to be rewarded for things. I love medals. I love getting things for things I've accomplished. I love packs. I I just love these things. All right, and God says, here's five that you should really work for. Five things. And because there's coming a day, Christian, look in the mirror if you've trusted Christ, and God is saying one day we will be before the Lord, what are you going to have to cast at his feet? That's, That's the question. So when the 24 elders bow down and they cast their thrones representing potentially the church people, definitely representing us, they'll take those crowns off, say, thank you, Lord, for being my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for giving me an eternity in heaven. And we'll cast our our crowns before the Lord. The heartbreak of the scroll will have to hasten. Chapter 5, verse 2, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. So God, the Father, has the title deed to the earth. 
and the Apostle John is looking up, and he, they're, they're doing a, a nationwide search. And they're like, who can open God's scroll? Who can take the title deed of the earth? And John said, uh, and, and why God made a major piece out of this, John was beside himself. The, the particular Greek word here means he just uncontrollably, out of control. The command of the deep. Have you ever had a little child? I have. And uh, all of a sudden, they're just, man, they're just losing it. They're crying, they're sobbing, they're out of control, they're shaking. And I pick them gently up and say, stop! (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, it kind of, oh. It's like, okay, now that I have your attention, what's wrong? Okay? And, And that's what God's doing here. The elder says, you know, like, come on, come on, John, stop it. John, stop weeping. Get a hold of yourself because I got the answer. Oh, you got the answer. Revelation 5b, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. John is there. He's receiving uh, this prophetic vision. He, there's this scroll that he can't wait to find out what's in it. Folks, I'm going to tell you what's in the scroll starting next week. Revelation chapter 6. Seven massive worldwide judgments that will be coming after the rapture of the church. Very important. But you will see what's coming. And this is what absolutely terrifies people when they start reading Revelation. It's like, I can't believe this is going to happen. It's going to happen. Which is why, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, may I kindly suggest you get that settled today. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, Genesis chapter 49, tells us, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah being the, uh, a tribe of, uh, the, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. We're talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're talking about one who would descend from that tribe, if you will, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why Revelation references it. Isaiah chapter 11, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, who is King David's father, Jesse, good guess. And a branch shall grow out of its roots. We're talking about the branch, Jesus Christ. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, speaking of the Lord Jesus to come, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Look back here. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, coming from his father Jesse, is the one who will open the seven seals. Revelation 5, 6, And I beheld, I looked and beheld, and in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. We need to talk about the lamb for a few minutes. What are we talking about when God in apocalyptic style literature, Bible literature, is talking about the lamb who looked as if he'd been slain? The Apostle John, in another book he wrote before Revelation, John chapter 1, verse 29, says the next day, John, the Apostle John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Going down a few verses again, the Apostle John said again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Folks, the Lamb of God is Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God is the one we place our faith and trust in in order to have eternal life with him. The Lamb of God is the one who will take the scroll, if you will, out of the Father's hand and he will unveil it, the title deed to this earth. All of those judgments that we'll look at, the 28 judgments that take place between Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 19 verse 10, all of those judgments are 
are preparing for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God to descend from heaven, take his rightful place in Jerusalem as the Messiah, the King of Kings. He talked about the seven spirits. We've gone through this three times now. We'll just give the passage, Isaiah chapter 11. All these seven things are part of the Holy Spirit's work. He's the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of fear of the Lord. Revelation 5, 7, the title, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him, the Father, who sat on the throne. So we have this beautiful throne room scene. Jesus Christ approaches the Father, and the title deed is handed to him. Revelation 5, 8, here are the surroundings. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Jesus Christ, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the who? The saints. Do you pray? Ah, it's tough. It is. It's a discipline. It is. Every minute, every day, God has told us to what? Pray without ceasing. Ceasing. That means you never stop. That means when you get up in the morning, it's time to talk to the Lord. It means before you kiss your spouse or your children or your loved one, before you go to work, before you go to school, it's time to start talking to the Lord. Make sure that day goes in the proper direction. Everything bathed in prayer. You say, I don't have time to get on my knees and, and, and fold my hands and close my eyes. I have to drive to work. I have to, you don't have to be in the position because there is no position. Yes, God talks about uh, positionally at times kneeling before him. But folks, I can't be kneeling all day. Neither can you. And God says no matter where you are, no matter what time of day it is, no matter what you're doing, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. Have you been seeking God? Are you spending time talking to the Father? I'm going to have to stop with this, but I'll give one quick illustration. One of my best friends, his first name was Jimmy. Jimmy, if you're watching, hey, brother. (laughs) Back when I was in high school, and Jimmy really got along well with my father, my dad. And they had a really good relationship. All three of us really got into cars, so we loved to talk about cars and all that kind of thing. And uh, Jimmy would come in the room, and he'd start talking to my dad. How dare he? (laughs) Wait a second. I wanted to talk to my dad about that. And Jimmy would start talking, and my dad would get engrossed in the conversation. And I'll be honest, I got a little miffed. (laughs) And sometimes I'd walk out of the room and go do something else. And you say, well, why would you do that? Because I was jealous of my father's time. Are you jealous of God's time? Valerie was talking to me yesterday, and she's like, you know, uh, there's times we need to pray with certain people and do things. I'm like, yes, there is. And I said, but you know, I'm kind of selfish when it comes to prayer because when I'm talking to Father, I really want to get a hold of him and have a serious chat with him. And yes, we need corporate prayer. Absolutely, we need it. We need to spend time praying with others. But it's like you have that special time where you get alone and you get jealous for the Father's time. You spend time with Him. You love Him. You love on Him. You listen to Him. You read His Word. He took the scroll. They all fell down and worshipped Him. And God says, listen, I got a, I got a bowl here. <sighs> oh, does that smell good. <sighs> you know what that is, guys? That's the saints' prayers. And God says, oh, that's good. That's a sweet aroma. And God says, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from my children. I want you to spend time with me. We'll come back to the rest next week as we start Romans chapter 6, or Revelation chapter 6. Let me ask you this. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Are you going to start working on those crowns? It's work. (laughs) A lot of work. Are you going to spend time talking with the Father? I get to spend time building that relationship just like you would with your own heavenly, with the heavenly father. Now, some of you have had rough relationships with your dads. I understand that. So look at somebody you love and, tr- and uh, respect 
in that realm and say, boy, I'd sure like to have a relationship like that with my Heavenly Father. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the precious Word of God and all that's contained in it. Thank you for the young people that sang this morning. And Father, we rejoice in the workers and the children that uh, have been working on those songs and working more importantly on their walk with you. Father, there may be one, maybe more this morning that are here, maybe the first time, maybe they've been here many times, maybe some watching on the internet this morning that have never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and they can't even imagine going to the throne room of God at this point. If that's you this morning, let me ask you a question, please. If you died right now, are you 100% sure if you died, you go to heaven? 100% sure, not 99, not 98. Are you 100% sure? And you say, Brother Rich, I'm not. I don't know if I died, I go to heaven. Let me tell you very quickly, it'll only take a minute, how you can know for sure when you die, you'd go to heaven. And we've talked about it multiple times this morning. Number one, do you understand that you've sinned? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The Bible also says because we've sinned, if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would burn forever in an awful place called the lake of fire or hell, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose again from the dead to prove you as God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 12. And then God says you've got to do one thing. We've talked about you can't earn your way to heaven. There's no works that can earn your way to heaven. There's only your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work and his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross that can take you to heaven. Have you accepted his free gift? I'll say it one more time. For by grace, God's free unmerited gift, are you saved from sin, from hell. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Have you ever accepted that free gift? May I encourage you to accept it this very moment. In your own words, tell the Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve heaven. I believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, did do those things, come down from heaven, die on the cross, was buried and resurrected. I believe that with all my heart. And I'm accepting that free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in Christ. Would you tell him that this morning and receive that free gift if you've done that, I want to encourage you to send me a text, an email, or see me in person and let me know. For the rest of us, there's many folks here this morning, many watching. I'm trusting you were challenged this morning, and I trust you will not walk out of this room the same way you walked in. All across this auditorium right now, decisions should be being made of things that you know you need to do in your life to become more like Christ and to go after those rewards that you will one day cast at Jesus' feet. I haven't done this in months, but every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Brother Rich, this morning there's some things I need to change in my life. I need to get right with God and dedicate myself to this. The only thing I'm going to ask you to do, I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to have you come forward. We're not going to do anything like that, but I would like to pray for you. Would you just simply raise your hand up, Brother Rich? These are things I need to do. Raise them up high. Brother Rich, there's things I need to do. God bless you all over the auditorium this morning. God bless you. Others saying, Brother Rich, these things I need to do. I need to get right with God this morning and put more effort into walking with God. Father, seal decisions. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Pray that you continue to bless us in a marvelous way. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.